Today's episode of Green Seas is made possible by our sponsor, Bureau Veritas, your partner in shaping a better maritime world. This is Green Seas, the podcast by Tradewinds about the environment and the business of the ocean. I'm Eric Priante Martin, and today we're going to talk about a plan to defuse the time bomb tanker. Back in 2018, Rohini Ralbi started hearing things from Yemen, where she had developed sources as part of a study into oil theft. Ralbi is managing director of IR Concilium, a consultancy in Maryland that focuses on maritime and resource security. What she heard was not about oil theft, but an environmental catastrophe waiting to happen. A tanker that had been converted into a floating storage and offloading unit, or FSO, that was in disrepair, loaded with more than a million barrels of oil, and sitting in a war zone. This is her son, Ian Ralby, who is chief executive at IR Concilium. So we started looking into it and uh, realized that, yeah, there was a, a real potential concern for not only the marine environment, but uh, for a whole array of different issues that, that could fall out from uh, a catastrophic spill. The Ralbys have been raising red flags about the tanker, called the Suffer, ever since. Five years later, Ian Ralby is still worried about the FSO which is known in headlines as the time bomb tanker, though no one knows when this time bomb will go off. If it does, it could lead to a massive oil spill in a region where economies, food supply, and even drinking water produced by desalination plants depends on the sea. My mother was the one who who started us on this, and as she put it, this matters. The the number of, of human lives that could be affected if nothing is done is overwhelming because it's not just those who are living now, it's generations in the future that don't even exist yet. Um, and those generations may not even have a chance to come about if we don't have uh, the drinking water that, that they need. And, and you know, we're not talking about just a marine environmental issue. We're talking about taking away drinking supplies for millions of people. How serious is the risk associated with the suffer? more than a year after a truce brought fighting to an end in Yemen's civil war. David Gressley is the resident humanitarian coordinator for the United Nations in Yemen, and he's been working to tackle the Safar situation since 2021. Uh, the key issue for the Safar is that it's an aging, decaying super tanker built in the 1970s that contains over a million barrels of oil. Um, it has not been appropriately maintained for the last four or five years. Um, many of its safety and environmental systems have broken down. So it's at imminent risk of either an explosion or just simply uh, falling apart uh, and sinking into, into the ocean, causing a, a massive oil spill of over a million barrels, four times the size of the Exxon Valdez uh, spill. One of the problems is somewhat technical. Tankers like this use what's called an inert gas system that ensures there's insufficient oxygen in their tanks to spark an explosion. That's not there anymore. Those systems broke down several years ago. Uh, so it's possible that it could explode at any, at any moment with an inadvertent spark uh, on board. And while tankers around the world are required to have double hulls to prevent oil spills, the software predates that rule and is a rare single hull tanker. Leaks in its hull could cause it to destabilize and capsize. Gressley said an engine room flooding a few years ago could have brought the whole vessel down but the small crew on board was able to prevent a catastrophe. But as we've reported in Tradewinds, the United Nations has a plan. It wasn't easy to put together, 
Gressley entered the scene in 2021 as the Iran-backed Houthis battled Yemen's central government, which was backed by Saudi Arabia. At the end of the day, the, the common perception of, of a common threat was enough for everybody to come over their mutual distrust, which is very deep. And one should not underestimate that. There were questions of who's benefiting from this, who's not. But at the end of the day, every, all the parties recognized that this is, this is a disaster ready to happen. And we were able to put together a plan that uh, each of the parties could accept. As part of that plan, the UN has purchased a vessel, the Nautica, from Belgian tanker giant Euronav. And it's finalizing a contract with Smit, that's the company that led the operation to dislodge the giant container ship ever given from the Suez Canal, to provide a salvage vessel to aid the operation. The Nautica has undergone modifications in China so it can operate as an FSO, replacing the Safar in waters near Yemen's port of Hodeida. And now it's sailing towards the Red Sea. Gressley said the Nautica is scheduled to arrive in Djibouti in May, and hopefully early next month, Smit will catch up with the ship before it sails to Yemen. Smit's crews will prep the Safar, pumping inert gas and ensuring that its systems are safe for an oil transfer. The UN official described this as a fairly straightforward operation from a technical perspective. The complications are more political and security, uh, actually. This is something that could have been done years ago uh, if, if the right uh, political uh, negotiations had been done at that time. It's still not too late, and, and we're on the verge of actual success. But when Gressley was put in charge of the operation in September 2021, even politics was not the biggest part of the challenge. I thought it was going to be more of a political negotiation more than anything else, but it turned out to be a major fundraising challenge. Actually, it was the bigger part of this. Uh, you know, frustrations, um, but determination, uh, I think, was what was required. And, we, and we've been able to uh, succeed in, in, in mobilizing the money. I was really happy that we've been able to do sort of a very comprehensive uh, funding campaign, uh, not only targeting uh, member states, but the private sector. We're getting good contributions from the private sector. Once the oil is transferred to the Nautica, that ship will remain on site for six to nine months, and the software will be taken to a site where it can be recycled in a green manner, with the proceeds of that defraying some of the cost of the operation. And it's not cheap. The UN had to buy a tanker because chartering a ship would have meant finding a company willing to park its vessel in a country that's been embroiled in a civil war. But in a strong tanker market, the cost of a very large crude carrier, or VLCC, rose from between $30 million to $35 million in June of last year to $55 million at the time that the UN bought the Nautica from Euronav. It was very important to work with a, a reputable, uh, strong company like Euronav because we need a very professional operation. So uh, in addition to facilitating the, the sale of the vessel, this comes from their existing fleet, um, they are providing a turnkey uh, uh, arrangement for us, uh, including a crew, uh, including working uh, with Smith on the offloading of the oil, um, and the modification of the Nautica uh, into an FSO. It needs some minor modifications in order to, to be appropriate to hold oil. So they've done that on a turnkey basis. They will operate the vessel throughout the operation. Uh, for a period of six to nine months, depending on how much time we need uh, to complete the operation. It is expected to cost the total of $129 million to get the ship-to-ship -ship transfer of oil completed, and then another $19 million to clean the software and tow it to its recycling site. 
private sector donors, including those who contributed through a crowdfunding campaign, and countries like the Netherlands have provided funds. But the UN is still in need of about $29 million. But as the operation to prevent an oil spill from the software draws closer, Ian Ralby questions whether the UN is on the right track. He said the operation follows a proposal that was made in 2020, a reflection of the speed of action at the UN, but the world is different in 2023. And he'd like to see more maritime safety expertise brought to the table to ensure that the plan goes off successfully, preventing a catastrophic oil spill. And the situation on the ground in Yemen has changed. Back in 2020, the Houthis were aggressively pursuing control of Marib, a city with a refinery at the other end of the pipeline that connects to the Safar. Now a truce has held for more than a year. For Ralbi, that's an opportunity to get oil out of the equation altogether, rather than keeping it off Yemen on another vessel. The fighting has stopped. Um, we have a much more uh, sort of calm and, and level-headed uh, moment overall. Uh, I wouldn't say that uh, things are in any way resolved, but they are they are not quite as as hot and hostile as they were uh, back then. Uh, and so maintaining oil that is already a distressed cargo at a time when versus 2020, it is actually profitable to sell. Um, what makes it, it, it worth keeping it out on the water as a, a looming threat that could still just be blown up uh, in the future? And so the concern is that um, at a time when oil futures were negative and fighting was hot in, in Yemen, uh, switching it to a seaworthy tanker and leaving it there made sense. Now, it does not. Ralby believes keeping a tanker off Yemen's coast leaves it vulnerable to an attack. Drone attacks on tankers have happened. But Gressley told me that keeping the ship safe is not a major problem. A recognized government in Aden has given the operation full support, including a $5 million contribution, and the Saudi coalition backing the Houthis had committed not to attack the area even before a truce stopped the fighting. There are no military activity going on, and there's certainly no airstrikes. So there really isn't a direct security threat to, to the operation in that area. The only thing we really have to worry about are sea mines and, and the authorities in Sana know where they are, so we'll be able to navigate around that. Uh, vessels come into the port of Hudaydah every day uh, without incident, so that's not it, sometimes perceived to be a problem, but in actuality, it won't be a problem. Everybody, everybody wants this done because it hurts everybody if it spills. Read Tradewind stories on the software at tinyurl.com slash T-W-S-A-F-E-R. Here's more on the environment and the business of the ocean. The Green Seas newsletter reported on an appeals court fight in California between the Biden administration and environmental groups over shipping lanes off that state. The U.S. Justice Department is challenging a December decision by a federal judge that found an assessment of the impact of the shipping traffic separation schemes violated the Endangered Species Act by failing to detail the impact on whales. Collisions with ships are a key cause of death for endangered whales, and speed limits and rerouting traffic are seen as the best way to prevent the strikes. Sign up for the newsletter at tinyurl.com slash greenseas. Tradewinds explored a pledge by tug and barge company Hidrovias do Brasil to reach net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2030. Among key moves in this plan, the Brazilian company has ordered all-electric pusher tugs, and it's expanded the size of its convoys to 35 barges to boost fuel efficiency. This is Chief Executive Fabio Chitino 
speaking through an interpreter as he showed a video of the barge super convoy in an analyst briefing. I feel it's very important for you to see the size and scope of this operation, the beauty of what we do in the Amazon, helping to build and develop uh, not only more efficient and competitive logistics, but most importantly, a more sustainable one, the most sustainable uh, in all transport modes available to deliver bulk cargo in the continent. Read the story at tradewindsnews.com. My colleague Paul Pichi reports that green tech company Njord has signed a deal with the shipping subsidiary of finance firm Hafen Capital Management to design fuel-saving measures for four of the firm's ships. The designs aim to cut emissions between 7% and 16% on three tankers and a dry bulk carrier owned by Hafen subsidiary Greenheart. Maritime consultancy Marsoft will quantify and certify the savings, allowing Greenheart to potentially trade them on voluntary carbon markets. Music for this episode is by Ivy Music on Pixabay.